Well, it's great to see everybody this morning, all combined group. If you were here for the instrumental devotional this morning in the fireside room, you discovered quickly that we're going to move that out of the fireside room and into here next week. It was way too crowded. It was way too hot. And uh, so we're going to move that in here. Please come and join us next week if you'd like to at 930. And uh, it was a a rich time of, of blessing and praise. Thank you, Michael, for leading that for us this morning for sure. And because we're here together for the first time in a year or so, or nine months or 10 months or whatever it's been, and you've got people that you probably haven't seen actually in a worship service together uh, in one place for a while, why don't we stand and just say hello to each other? Let's take a time to greet. Stand and greet one another. If you'd like to take a seat, we will begin again. And let me, uh, let me mention something which is uh, certainly a sad note for our church family. Some of you will remember John and Carla Gordon and their family that were here for several years with us a while back. And uh, John passed away suddenly in the last couple of days here. And I know that Carla and uh, her two boys are just absolutely heartbroken. And so why don't we uh, stop and pray for the Gordon family this morning. Would you pray with me, please? Um, God... John has gone far too early, and we grieve that today. And we ask special blessings on those whom he loved and who loved him, especially on Carla and her boys. Lord, I know that they are hurting, they are grieving. Uh, And Father, it's difficult for anyone to say words or to do anything that's going to bring them comfort. It will take time. But we pray that you'd be with the Gordons today. Bless them, God, with your peace and your comfort, the peace that passes all understanding, the kind of peace that only you can provide. We pray that it would be with Carl and her her boys today. We pray through Jesus. Amen. A couple of things I wanted to mention here at the beginning. One is that we do have a stampede breakfast coming up on July 8th, and I hope that you are here for that. 8.30, please... Feel free to bring a friend, invite someone, and we will enjoy a great breakfast together. Thank you to to Karina and Ed for putting that on for us. Uh, If you would like to help with that, please make sure that you talk to Karina or Ed and let them know of your willingness to help. I think you'd have to be here probably around 7.30, 7 o'clock, 5.30, whatever, 7 o'clock, okay, 7 o'clock on July 8th to help prepare that breakfast. So I hope that you can be here for that. We also wanted to mention that Family Camp is coming up August 17th through 19th, so please be here. Uh, or or, uh, talk to, be here, please be there and talk to Mark Lewis, who can talk to you about family camp. And I think there's an early registration for that. June 30th is the deadline, so that's coming up fast. And so please register for family camp. A good time will be had by all, for sure. And then Wayne has a special announcement. Wayne, maybe you can just use that microphone. Sean, could you turn that one on for us? Just back from holidays in Montana, Yellowknife, beautiful place. It rained as much there as it did all day yesterday. Okay. It forced us inside, all 60 of us, and the fellowship was particularly sweet because we, there was nothing we could do outside. But So it was a blessing. Speaking of blessings, 
Many of you will know that for several years I've been an elder serving this congregation. That amounts to about 15 or 16 years that I've been doing that. And uh, it's uh, had to, uh, I've come to a, a decision that caused me a lot of pain, but I'm going to be uh, resigning from the role of eldership. Some of you may know that already. I have my personal reasons for doing that. Uh, I met with the elders last week before I, uh, we headed off for holidays, and uh, uh, they are such a wonderful group of men. Uh, they are true servants. And so that if there's one thing I would encourage you to do, if you've often wondered, what's this thing about serving, is if you're not sure what that looks like for yourself, seek someone who you know is serving. It could be one of our current elders. Uh, servants, servitude is uh, it's a wonderful thing, and, and it's what Jesus did so well. So we have models for serving in scriptures. So I would encourage each one of you, if that's a struggle for you, or you just don't know what that looks like, the question is, am I called to service? Well, service is what it is. So look for opportunities to serve those who, are, who need you to help them through something. It could be a study in the Bible, could be all kinds of things. So that's my encouragement. Uh, my can't my uh, uh, stopping my activity in the eldership is effective immediately, and as I said, um, I, I'm going to miss it terribly. But about the only difference is going to be I don't have to go to the meetings. <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh, thank you very much for supporting me and where I needed support. I certainly thank the elders, the current elders, for their tremendous support because they are truly uh, loving guys, and uh, I'm going to miss them in that role, but I'm going to see them all the time anyway. But thank you very much. Bye. Don't go yet. Stay here. Come here. frog in my throat. Um, there are very few people I know who have the heart of a Wayne McCaig. His heart is golden. And he has been such a wonderful servant of this church and will continue to be. And it has been an incredible blessing for me to be the preacher at this church and have an elder like Wayne serving among us. He has been a support to me an encouragement to me. He always has a kind word, uh, uh, something of laughter to convey. Um, he is just such a fine example. But what you said a moment ago about service, that is where Wayne shines, is in the area of service. He has served this church so faithfully and so wonderfully. You know, there was a time for 18 years he did children's worship. For 18 years. There's a lot of people in here who are quite mature who aren't 18 years old. And yet, Wayne served for 18 years in our children's worship. I just, I can't imagine. Um, but that's the kind of heart that he has. And for him to serve for, for as an elder for 15 years is not surprising at all. Because he has just such a heart of gold. And so upon your resignation, my friend... We have this for you. It simply says, 
The Calgary Church of Christ, in appreciation to our shepherd, Wayne McKegg, for years of selfless service and for leadership in the church by which you have helped to advance the cause for which Christ died, June 24, 2018. And there is nobody more deserving than you. I love you too. God bless you. He will be missed as an elder, but certainly glad he's still here. So tell me something. What exactly is a paradigm shift? What's a paradigm shift? Okay. Wait, say that again, Miles. Okay, a complete reevaluation of how you see, uh, see something or determine something. I think that's probably correct. Yes. Okay, yeah, your worldview, perspective changes. That's for sure. In terms of paradigm... I mean, I, I, I thought of this, I, could, I thought I could take a couple of dimes, and I could take a dime and come over here, a couple of dimes, and give them to Shane, and I'd say, what's a paradigm shift? That's oh, when you give two dimes to Shane. <laughs> no, that's not it. Oh, actually, here's the two dimes. I could have done it. Um, a paradigm shift first depends upon the notion of paradigm, and a paradigm is something that dominates and, and sets the tone for your thinking, like a worldview can be a kind of paradigm, or there can be something that just dominates what it is that you're about. And so if you are a hockey player, and uh, you are absolutely set on defense being the whole key to your game, and then the coach comes in and says, you know what, we're going to now be an offensively oriented team, your paradigm just shifted, where you went from being totally oriented toward defense to ori oriented toward offense, and something changed and shifted. You became something different. Last week, we talked about how ministering in the way of Jesus should be our thing, which I think is about the same thing as saying ministering in the way of Jesus should be our paradigm. Ministering in the way of Jesus is not just a theme that we're going to preach on for a while. It needs to be something that dominates who we are as a church. And so ministering in the way of Jesus does, in fact, need to be the paradigm for us when it comes to ministry. And, of course, I've underlined and bolded here the word the, because that's where we need to go. When someone says, how is it that we should minister as a church? What should it be like to be part of our church and do ministry? And I'd like to think that people would say, well, let's turn to the Gospels and find out. Not just to what Paul says, not just what Peter says or what James says, but turn specifically to what Jesus said and who Jesus is and how he did ministry. You know, uh, yesterday I was having a conversation with Bob Bernard when we were at the wedding shower. And we were talking about the problems in society. And talking about how people these days are so often lost. And I don't mean just lost in terms of the gospel, but I mean they have no direction. We live in a society which is so much different than when I was a kid. When I was a kid, there were certain paradigms that just kind of held us in a certain way of being and doing. And I'm not saying that it was always good. It wasn't always good for sure. But there were some things that were very good. 
Like, for example, I like the notion of family interests and family values being a kind of paradigm for our society. I like it that people would say family is important. And my opinion is, and maybe you share this, maybe you don't, my thought is that in terms of a paradigmatic kind of influence, that family is not what it used to be. People just don't think in the same terms. They don't see it as as important as they used to. And in fact, I think that that's a problem. I think that's a difficulty. So Bob and I were talking about these things, that there is no guiding story, no grand narrative that kind of drives people's thinking and keeps them on a, a path that's going to ultimately be productive. There's no system of ideas or principles that dominates who we are, controlling our choices and our purpose, and so people instead feel lost and directionless and oftentimes even hopeless. Uh, I remember John Hedges, I remember you talking to me about how you were in a meeting, and it was right during the time of, remember a few years ago when the big BP blowout happened down in the Gulf, oil spewing into the Gulf of Mexico, and for weeks people didn't know what to do, they were trying all kinds of solutions, and if I have the story right, John was in a meeting somewhere in the south, and they're in the middle of a meeting, and a guy walks in and says, we need to develop, or we're asking you to develop a pump, if this is right, that we think might solve the crisis there in the Gulf with BP. They're trying to think of all kinds of solutions, and in the middle of a meeting, somebody walks in and says, can you please work on a pump? And so they started discussing this around the table, you know, a board of directors or whatever, discussing this subject. Are we going to put something in here, try and to, to solve this problem. And, and they immediately started to turn to the cost estimates. You know, what's, what's this going to be like for us if we have to put a lot of money in? You know, and, and people are saying, well, you know, we don't think we can handle this. It's, you know, it's too big or cost too much or whatever. And if I have it right, John kind of stood up or stopped the discussion or whatever and said, hey, folks, wait a second. We're talking here about the Gulf of Mexico. We're talking here about oil spewing into the Gulf, and there's a time when all of a sudden you stop worrying about profits or costs or losses, and you say, this is way more important than whether or not we're going to lose some money on this project. And so we need to just decide that we're going to make a contribution here, a contribution to our environment that is way bigger than our bottom line. Well, I don't know if... I don't know if you guys ultimately did that or if you had any kind of impact or anything. I'm, gl- I'm glad it stopped. I'm glad the oil flow is done. But I'm grateful that somebody decided that something was more important than just the bottom line. You know, it's like we ask the question, what is the meaning of life? And it seems like too often today there is nothing but silence that comes back. And what I want to say this morning is that I actually think that there's a solution to this. When Bob and I were talking yesterday, I I was talking in hypothetical terms. Yeah, isn't it too bad that we don't have direction? Uh, You know, I was talking in general terms about society. Isn't it too bad that we don't have this grand narrative that kind of speaks to society and informs it and gets it in a common direction? And I was speaking in those kind of uh, general terms because the fact is that I do think there's a grand narrative. I do think that there's a solution to this. And I actually think that it's the way of Jesus that is the solution. And it's, it's not because he was a great teacher. He was a great teacher. And he calls the world to attention and says, I've got great teaching here that could put you on a path that would take you someplace and keep you from just being hopeless. He could indeed teach that way and did teach that way. But it's more than that. 
Because Jesus isn't just a great teacher. Jesus is, in fact, the one who is God in the flesh and who understands what it means to minister to humanity in ways that are helpful and productive and most meaningful for them. And so as we ask or look at this statement, ministering the way of Jesus should be the paradigm for us, I think there's also a question that needs to be asked that goes along with it. And that is something like, what are Jesus' priorities when it comes to his own ministry? Because if he is, in fact, our paradigm, then what is dominant in the ministry of Jesus needs to be dominant, certainly, for us. Now, it may seem like this would be easy. And I've actually preached lessons like this before, where it would seem like all you have to do is just kind of pick one theme like love. Love is the theme. Love, if we just pick love, everything will be fine. And I want to ask the question, is it simply love that drives the ministry of Jesus? And I've done a lot of thinking about this. And it seems to me like it isn't exactly that. Like that's not exactly the way that Jesus says this. It's not exactly the way that Jesus does this. Jesus doesn't actually ever say that the reason he came into the world was to love. The Bible does say that God so loved the world that he sent his only son. And we know that love itself is the chief virtue. It's the preeminent virtue of all. If we're going to talk about great things, we could talk about faith, we could talk about hope, but when it comes to those kinds of things, love, the Bible says, is the greatest. But when it comes to asking, what did Jesus prioritize in terms of his ministry? I don't know that it was just exactly or even just love itself. And so I would put it in terms something like this. That Jesus' priorities are God's desired presence with and impact on humanity, his kingdom, especially their salvation and the abundant life of relationship with them that had been destroyed by sin. It seems to me if I'm going to kind of boil down the priorities of Christ, what is that's most important for him? What does he want to see done in our world more than anything else? It's these kinds of things. And I want to break this down this morning into three things that I think are in this sentence that I think really typify uh, and characterize the ministry of Jesus. The first one is this. Jesus came to do the will of his Father to fulfill God's desires. And so there's a sense in which Jesus was just interested in doing God's will. It was Jesus who said, I've come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. He specifically says, that's why I came. Jesus says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. And again, he says, I don't seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. It makes sense then that a church who would be asking itself the question, how can we best emulate Jesus when it comes to his ministry? How can we let his ministry prioritize for us our own efforts at ministry? How can we establish a paradigm for ourselves in terms of ministering exactly like Jesus? And I would say it has to do with desiring God's desires, desiring God's will. Jesus says, I came to do my Father's will. It's no wonder that he could be in the Garden of Gethsemane and he could be bleeding and he could be sweating and he could be praying and his 
loved ones, the apostles who cared for him, could be sitting nearby sleeping while he's at his darkest moment. And Jesus could say to his father, not my will, but your will be done. Because this was such a priority for him. Asking the question, I think, constantly of himself in his ministry, am I doing my father's will? And I hope that this morning that you are asking yourself, is that me? Is it my priority to do the father's will? Is it my goal to constantly be asking, God, what do you want of my life? and then being willing to actually do the will of our Father as we know it to be. Secondly, Jesus came to bring the impact of the kingdom. In the sentence, I said, presence with an impact on humanity, because I think that's really the idea of the kingdom. God's presence with and God's impact on humanity. We are not what God wants us to be. He does want to see better things for us. And so he says, I want my presence and my impact to be there with those whom I love, that they can see a different kind of world than what they're experiencing right now. And so his kingdom, that we, this word kingdom is such a wonderful word because it's not just a noun. We've talked about this recently in Bible class on Sunday mornings. The word kingdom is not just a noun. It has with it this verbal kind of function, this idea that God is reigning, His power is presence. There's an influence here and an impact present in the word kingdom. And it certainly was a priority for Jesus. And so in Mark chapter 1, it says, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, He said. And this is right at the beginning of His ministry. He's setting the stage here. And John writes this in such a way that sets up the priority for Jesus from the very beginning. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. And so there's this great message that Jesus brings into the world that his influence and impact is not just his alone, but it's God's influence and his and God's impact that is present there with him. In Luke chapter 4, verse 43, it says, but he said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also because that's why I was sent. People are around him everywhere being healed. They keep coming to him. Thousands, it would seem, were coming to Jesus, and he's healing them right and left, and he could have sat down. He could have just healed people for three years, and he doesn't do that. Instead of just healing people, Jesus wanted to proclaim the kingdom. And so he says, okay, I'm, I'm done here. I'm moving on. I have to go to the other towns and the other villages because I need to be preaching the kingdom. It was clearly a priority of Jesus to simply proclaim the impact and the presence of God and to bring it with him as he comes. To save humankind for relationship with God, which Jesus calls the abundant life, is the third thing that I think is present in this statement. God wants so badly for us to enjoy life. He does not want Christians to just walk around all the time, sad sacks, do you know any sad sack Christians? Wayne McCaig is not one of them. There's a lot of people in our world who claim Jesus who, who aren't that filled with joy. 
They don't seem to be living the kind of abundant life that God has called them to. Now, sometimes there's great reasons for that. Life isn't always a bowl of cherries. But there are times when we need to ask ourselves whether or not Jesus doesn't want us to put on a smile and to enjoy the kind of life that he's given to us. He gives us a life where we, despite our sinfulness, find ourselves living in Jesus with an opportunity to be saved and to come to him and to live an abundant life because we do. And so Luke 19.10 says, For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. And you know what? I was one of those lost ones. I was. I was one of those lost ones. And Jesus came and he saved me. And it does put a smile on my face. I find joy in the Lord and knowing that God blessed me with eternal life. He blessed me with relationship with him. The creator of the universe allows me to know him and love him and be in relationship with him and to live a life of joy because of what it is that he's done. And I praise the Lord because of that. John 17, 3 says, Now this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. And I have a chance to know him. This is one of my favorite verses in all of the Bible because I love the notion that God sent Jesus into the world so that I can know God. That's amazing. But he sent Jesus for that reason. And then you know this verse so well. John 10, 10, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And that's the abundant life. He came so that we could have that kind of life. So here's the question this morning. Do you feel like your priorities exemplify the priorities of Jesus? Are they yours? In fact, we could say, is Jesus' way of ministering your paradigm for your own way of life? Because the things that we just discussed, the priorities that are Jesus, he wants those priorities for you and me. I have no doubt about it. And he wants these to be priorities for our church family. And we need to decide whether or not these are going to be our priorities. Recently, we had a bit of a dilemma that came up in our family, in the Carter family. And the Carter family, in this case, extends from Kelly and Robin and Megan to Adam and Ryan and their children and just faced with a little bit of a dilemma. Not a crisis or anything, just a choice to make. And I don't need to go into the details about all of that. It's just a, a family thing among us. But we were wrestling with something and thinking, what are we going to do? Like, we have a decision to make. What are we going to do here as a family when it comes to this particular decision? And we could go in a way that wasn't all that loving and wasn't all that gracious. And we could go in another direction that was absolutely loving and was more gracious maybe a little bit more inconvenient. Maybe not absolutely the, the thing that we would love to do. But we decided that we needed to go in that more loving, compassionate direction, even though maybe it isn't exactly the thing we want to do. And of course, that ends up being the thing that you want to do because we are trying to do the will of God. And it should enter into our daily lives and our daily decisions so that families should make decisions about Jesus and what he means for them. And when choices come up and they have one direction they could go as opposed to another direction, they need to choose the direction that Jesus 
calls them to. And so we ask, again, this kind of question, are the priorities of Jesus' ministry your priorities? We decided to go the Jesus way in our family. It wasn't a big deal, but we decided to do that. And I'd like to think that the influence of us making that decision as adults is going to, without the kids even knowing about the decision, going to somehow translate from one group of people into another because they're influenced by those who are making a good decision that Jesus calls them to. And folks, that needs to happen for us all the time. There need to be decisions that we make as a church where we simply ask the question, what is it that Jesus wants us to do? How does he want us to minister? How can, in the words of Wayne McCaig, how can we serve? And if we end up answering that question in the affirmative with respect to who Jesus is, and we just say, we're going to serve the way Jesus serves, God is going to bless us. And he will bless us richly when we make the decision to simply serve as Jesus wants us to serve. Today, by the way, there is a meeting um, immediately following, or I guess we're going to get going about what, 11.30, 11.45. Uh, we want get, to get into this rather quickly. Uh, if you're a ministry leader in our church family, we want you to come. Please bring your spouse. If you're interested in ministry in our church, if you... We'd love to have you come. And we're just going to get together and talk about how our church can better serve, ways in which our church can better minister. And I encourage you to come and be part of that. There is going to be a light lunch that will be served. It's going to be in here after we all kind of clear out. And I hope that that meeting reflects a desire to simply be like Jesus Christ when it comes to serving. That needs to be for us a paradigm it needs to be for us a priority, and I, make, I pray that you make it so for you. I've told the story before about uh, the lady who was uh, a friend of ours in Victoria who was on a plane. She was a nurse. She was serving up north at a northern community in Ontario, and she had a break. There was a conference in Venezuela, and she went to Venezuela for a conference, got on a plane, flew to Venezuela for a nursing conference, and she was on her way back. It was the middle of winter. And as she was landing back in Big Trout Lake in northern Ontario, her plane, as it was descending to the runway, all of a sudden just dropped out of the sky. Uh, it wasn't very far off the ground at that time, but they were still above the lake just before they got to the runway. And the plane just dropped and hit the lake. And it was frozen solid, of course. So for whatever reason, all the impact, when it hit the lake, all the impact was underneath her seat. And she was the only person on the plane that was seriously injured. And the impact from, from hitting the lake went right up through her seat and severed her spinal cord. She was instantly uh, paralyzed. She, she told me afterwards, she said, I was sitting there in my seat and it Everybody, you know, I, I thought, well, I'm a nurse. I should get up and help people. So I tried to get up and help people with their bumps and bruises and all of that. And she said, I couldn't move. And I looked at my legs and I thought, these are not my legs. Like they're not at all doing what I expected them to do. 
So they cut her out of the plane, cut her out of her seat, cut her out of the plane, uh, did evaluation. Of course, she, she never walked again. Uh, she died a few years ago of cancer after having been in the wheelchair for the rest of her life. But what was fascinating about her was that after the incident and after she had recovered, she went back to Big Trout Lake, had her home in Victoria, but went from Victoria to Big Trout Lake, Ontario, in the north, in the snow and the ice, and continued to minister to the people there because that's who she was. And because she felt like the call of Jesus called her to do that. I don't know where you're at this morning when it comes to serving like Jesus, but I pray that you have that kind of heart that allows us to continue to serve and to bless people because that's what Jesus calls us to and that's what Jesus himself did. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we, we look at your example and it, it calls us. The way you treated the blind, the way that you ministered to the leper, the way that you carried, cared for those who were sinful, the way that you lifted up the brokenhearted, the way that you watched over the despised of society and ministered to them. Lord, we pray that you give us hearts like that and help us to constantly ask how we can serve like you. We pray through Jesus. Amen. Let's all stand, please. Shane. As I was observing Wayne come up and receive his appreciation from the church, I was thinking to myself that he would actually be receiving another from our Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, we all would be receiving that. And the one thing that we need to ensure is what we will be singing in our next song, that Jesus holds our hand. <laughs>